going to be in the Gospel of Mark uh, as we have been. We're going to be here for a few more weeks before taking a break. We're in Mark chapter 6, verse 45. You can read on the screen. You can just listen. You can look at your own Bible. You can grab a Bible from underneath a chair or something uh, and keep it if you don't have one. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he'd taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they'd crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored up at the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this word now speaks to us. And God, we pray that our hearts would be soft. We pray that you would help us to hear and to respond. Jesus, we want to see you for who you really are. And we know that we need your help to do it. God, help me to speak these words faithfully. And God, may anything else that is not of you fall away and be forgotten quickly. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for coming for us. Amen. This story uh, is immediately following the story of the the feeding of the 5,000. So there's some sort of zigzagging across a lake going on here. Jesus and his disciples had retreated or attempted to retreat. The people followed him there. He spread them out on this grassy wilderness spot, multiplied the loaves and fishes. It's been a long day, and Jesus is sending these disciples across the lake, go somewhere else, and Jesus is going to uh, spend some final moments with the crowd, and then he's going to spend time alone which follows a pattern that that Jesus demonstrates. Jesus himself needs time alone with the Father. And he retreats up this mountain to pray. He's on land. The disciples are at sea. The disciples get caught in a storm, and they are kind of stuck. They cannot make headway because the way they want to go is the opposite of the way the wind wants them to go. And Jesus knows it. And then... Jesus goes for a walk. Instead of going around to meet him, them, he just walks on the water, as one does. And he is coming to them to, to pass by them, it says. And they're freaked out because, of course. Um, I don't know how much time you've thought of this story recently, but it would be really freaky to be in the middle of a body of water and to see some being walking on top of the water. You know, some people, for 
for ages have tried to figure out, maybe Jesus was on a sandbar, maybe you know, there's some rocky outcropping. These are fishermen, some of them at least. Mark clearly means Jesus is walking on the water. This is why it freaks them out. It's crazy. And they don't recognize him for who he really is. They, they think he's, he's a ghost, a sea demon, probably. And they freak out because their doom is at hand. And Jesus instantly allays their fears. He says, take heart, it's I. And gets in the boat and everything is calm. Which in Mark's gospel is kind of second time this has happened. Uh, Jesus has been in the boat with them previously when their storm came. And he has showed total mastery of the wind and the waves. And once again, he gets in the boat and the wind just goes away and everything is calm. And they go on their way to Jesus doing more of what Jesus does in this region. Um, for, for a long time, when interpreters come to this passage, they're really, they're really struck by this mention that Mark makes that Jesus seems to be about to pass them by. And the question is, why? What does what he, like, does he just sort of uh, change his mind? Was he, you know, going one way, they're going another, and he decided, well, you know, since you're here, guys, um, or does he, is his crossing kind of incidental to their presence? He was always going to walk across the water, and they just happen to be there because they're stuck in the storm or something like that. And Mark is probably doing things in the telling of this story that is not really about Jesus being directionally challenged or something like that. The language that he uses is specifically referring back to some things in the Old Testament that should kind of perk our ears up if we're conversant with them enough. And if you are like me, you're probably not. Because your mind is not immersed in the world of the Hebrew Scriptures. That's part of why we, for our call to worship, read Job 9. Because Job 9 is this description of the God of Israel who is the one who walks upon the waves. In the mind of the Israelite, the only one who can walk upon the uncontrollable chaotic realm of the sea is the God who makes the seas. And so when Jesus is walking upon the waves, it is a kind of demonstrated and explicit claim to his own identity and authority. And when Mark says that he intended to pass them by, in the mind of the Israelite, there, there is some history for this. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses wants to see God. And of all the people who should be able to see God, uh, it should be Moses. Moses says in Exodus 33, 18, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And the God of Israel tells Moses, you cannot see me face to face, but I will cause all my glory to pass you by so that you can see the backside of my glory. And Mark uses this same passing by language. It's, it's more likely that Jesus is intending to do for the disciples 
what Moses experienced, and yet Moses was told, you cannot see my face. And yet these ones, the disciples, have lived before his face for years. And when Jesus responds to them, when they're afraid, he probably not accidentally uses the name of God. In English, it just says, it is I. But what he literally says is, take heart, I am. And the God of Israel is revealing himself to his people who are terrified, exhausted, frustrated in the middle of this lake. And what Mark bids us pay attention to is the fact of their response. He says, they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Mark is putting this question to you and to I, to me, throughout his gospel. Do you put yourself in the position of a disciple? And are you specifically like the disciples in this moment, where you do not recognize what is going on? The disciples have just been on the mountainside with Jesus. They've just seen him as the great shepherd king, the one who provides bread in the wilderness. And Jesus, in his great power and love, both of these things, has provided for them a feast where there should be no feast. And they do not understand what they have just seen. And therefore, they do not understand when Jesus gets in the boat and the wind ceases. Mark says their hearts were hardened. And the question is, what is the state of your heart? If you are a disciple or considering the life of discipleship, are you able to discern and to recognize the working of God, the presence of God in your own life? Are you in danger of missing what the disciples were missing that was literally right in front of them, right in front of their face? Is your heart hard? Now, in the scriptures, this, this dynamic of having a hard heart is really important. It, it is both, at times, a sign of judgment. If God really wants to judge, pour out judgment on someone, the scriptures will say their hearts are hardened. And it's a sign of a missing a personal missing, a response, a, 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 an inability to receive what God is doing. And in either circumstance, it's a really serious thing to have your heart hardened. And yet, it's a really natural and normal thing. You'll notice while Mark is pretty clear in his diagnosis, diagnosis of what's going on, he, he's not writing this commentary like, what a bunch of idiots. Like, how could they? It's really tempting to read the Gospels and believe, well, obviously, I would know what is going on. But would you? If you gave an honest appraisal of your own life, is, is there evidence, are there signs that you would be a one that would recognize what God is doing 
in your life. Now, there's a whole lot of reasons why people experience a hardness of heart. I'm not going to get into to all of them. But there, I think there, there are a few things that are ordinary and common why people experience this thing called hardness of heart. One thing is that the disciples are, are rowing in the dark against the headwinds. And this is often what the experience of life is like. You are often, as a follower of Jesus, rowing against the headwinds of life, and it's dark, and it is difficult to discern what God is doing. And that is exhausting. It's exhausting. And so if you are in the middle of your life, and all you can focus on is the task at hand. For them, it's, in the moment, rowing across this body of water. For you, it might be plowing through one busy day after another. But when all of your attention is drilled down into the now and the present and what you must do, what you have to do, it is really, really difficult to pay attention to a God who might come strolling up to you in the midst of your day. And when you live day after day after day in this kind of exhaustion and perpetual head-down focus on yourself and the world that you live in and the people you need to care for, you stop looking for Jesus. And your heart grows cold. It grows hard. It's a common experience. It is, I would say, probably the default experience of our humanity if there is not an active turning. One thing that I think probably contributes to hardness of heart is cynicism. Over and over again, the, the, the writers of the New Testament will tell the early Christians they have got to cling on to hope. And we live in a world where that feels especially challenging. It is, it is more socially acceptable to be cynical than it is to be hopeful. And part of the truth is, it is more, it feels more safe to be cynical. Because to continue to have hope means you are a person open to disappointment. And if you have been bruised and battered by this world, cynicism is an easy way to protect yourself. It is especially easy to be cynical towards God. It is, it is easier, it is in some ways it might feel better to close yourself off from the possibility of God's intervention instead to assume that life will continue to beat you down. But the hope of the gospel does not leave much room for cynicism. Because the good news that the, the apostles will preach, that Mark will write, is that Jesus is actually the true king of heaven and earth. And that because of that, even the most dire of circumstances, even you in the midst of lots of failure and heartache 
are living in a place where Jesus' power might be made manifest. And so you are invited, you are encouraged, you are, if you are a Christian, you are in fact commanded to not give up hope because Jesus is king. And you hold on to that hope in the face of the reality of this world. You are not called to a kind of mindless hope. You don't have to close your eyes and plug your ears and say, blah, 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 everything is fine. You don't have to pretend. Hope that the gospel offers to you is hope that stares in the face of everything that tells you you should be cynical and says it is not the whole story. And when you begin to cede that territory to the wounds, to the powers of this world, you forfeit an inheritance and your heart grows hard. And one of the other things that's probably not a surprise that scripture often points to as being this hardening thing in our lives is the power of sin. Sin just numbs you over and over and over again over time. Giving yourself over to sin, this is why it's important to understand sin is never treated in Scripture like it's no big deal. Because sin will do a lot of things to you, but one of them is tell you your continual decision to be Lord and Master over your own life in this particular regard. It is a constant refusal of Jesus as your King. And at some point, it's far more comfortable to just be your own monarch than it is to wrestle with the fact that it is really, really, really hard <laughs> to turn over your whole life to the kingship of Jesus. And so if at some point, if you just say, you know what, I'm just not going to deal with this anymore. I'm just not going to care if I'm greedy or selfish or vindictive, wrathful, lustful, whatever. That will work on you. And it will make your heart cold and hard so that you can't even say that you expect Jesus to be Jesus when he's right there in front of your face. Jesus is right there in front of the disciples. And he is just being Jesus. And they're shocked because their heart has grown hard for whatever reason. Now, it is important if you recognize the truth of that to see the gaze of your heart in this story is not meant to rest on the disciples, but it is meant to rest on Jesus. Because Jesus knows his disciples' hearts are hard. And he gets in the boat anyway. And he stops the wind anyway. And his words to them are still, take heart, it is I. Jesus is still landing on the seashore and saying, bring to me all your sick, your wounded, 
bring them to me. Jesus knows that all of these disciples are hard-hearted, confused, and Jesus is still the same to them because this is the God of Israel. Later, just a chapter later, after Moses has been told that he will be able to see the glory of God pass by him, God sort of shoves him into the crevice of the cliff, and it without even really describing everything this means, he, he makes his glory to pass by him. And God then tells Moses his name. <clears throat> the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is the God who passes by his disciples, who sees the seriousness of the sin that might make your heart grow cold and dull. He doesn't pretend like it's no big deal. He sees exactly the state that you find yourself in. And yet, as much as your sin could be easily passed on to your children and your children's children, his mercy is to the thousands of generations. Jesus is still Jesus with you, even when you cannot recognize who he is. And if today you have realized that your heart has grown hard and grown cold so that you are astounded when God does anything good towards you. The response is to see him for who he has always been and to receive from him the steadfast love and mercy that the gracious God of Israel has always intended to give his people. That is why the scriptures say today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If you have been trapped in the everyday busyness of your whole life, a kind of vortex of self-focus that has left your heart cold before God, if you have lived a life of cynicism, closing yourself off from the wounds and the power of other people, from the disappointment of this life, forsaking the heritage of hope that God would give you, if you have given yourself over to sin time and time and time again, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Take heart. It is I. And if you are here today, and all you've ever known is a distance and a chasm between you and God. You have decided that you will try to walk upon the waves. The truth is before you. You are no Jesus. You will never control the seas. You will never master this life. But the God who made the world and made you has tread upon the waters 
to come to you. And today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, but instead listen to him say to you, take heart, it is I, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and slow to anger, merciful, steadfast in love. He is here before you today. Respond to him and let him continue to break the bounds of your disbelief until the day that you see him face to face. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for being with us. Not just present in this room, but with us and for us. We give you thanks. And God, I pray for all who are here today, those who've grown tired, who've been beat up by life, who've been battered about by sin, by sorrow, by hopelessness, whose hearts have grown cold and hard. God, I thank you that you have always loved disciples like that. And I pray that you would help us. Help us to hear your voice. Help us not to harden our hearts. And Father, for those who are here today who say, I believe, help my unbelief. I pray that they would see your mercy and compassion towards them today. And for those who are here today who have closed themselves off from you to protect themselves, God, I pray that they would see there is no safety anywhere except in the safe harbor of your love. Father, would you make that believable? Would you make that possible so that our hearts would see what you're doing and respond and come close? We thank you, God, that mercy is what you set your mind and your heart to. Mercy flows out of your being because it is part of who you are. God, let us turn ourselves over to you, trusting and at rest. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for your love for your people. Amen.